0: Um, Good morning. Um, For those of you who don't know me, as Andy said, I'm Sanjay. Uh, I'm the assistant pastor here uh, on the leadership. And um, thanks for being here this morning. It's been a different sort of morning. Um, And Steve's description of uh, having a tumble of emotions is is very much me too this morning. Um, And that makes me glad that it's not... uh, It's not anything I've written that we're looking to speak to us this morning. It's something that God's written. Uh, And it's his word, and we can have confidence in his word doing what his word does, uh, coming to us and uh, changing us and affecting us and bringing about the life of God in us individually and corporately. So that's my hope and prayer this morning. Um, And apologies in advance if there's tears. as Andy said, uh, I'm, yeah, it's a joy to be part of the leadership team. That also means walking with, has meant walking with Keith and Eileen um, for the last couple of years, which has been a privilege, um, and this is a tender morning. So I, I actually wanted to start by thanking you, especially those who, who have known Eileen's journey over the last um, couple of years, and more recently the last few weeks and days, to... To decide to be here this morning, um, especially if actually your preference in processing stuff is to do that alone, I want to just say a, a particular thank you for being here. It's a, it's a statement of the gospel that we have been made a family together by what God has done among us. So if it's been hard for you to summon the courage to be among us this morning, I want to thank you. Thank um, and I thank God for you. So that's where I wanted to start. There we go. The tears have begun. Um, good. So we've reached the halfway point in our series looking at 1 Corinthians. Um, and we're considering five big issues and five big ideas. This is a, a screen grab from a video that the Bible Project have done. I think they've now done most of the books, certainly most of the New Testament books, if not all of them. Um, and it's just been really helpful for many of us in grappling with the sort of bigger sweep of uh, what, what God is saying to us through each of these books. So we're actually about halfway through, uh, and we're going to be looking at chapters 8, 9, and 10 over the next couple of weeks. Um, if you haven't already listened to Steve's sermon from last week, I would encourage you to do so. Um, Steve, I listened back this week, and what you shared um, built me up. Uh, Steve ended with an encouragement from Psalm 1, uh, which was that we, there is grace from God to flourish wherever we've been planted. And I know that many of us took that away as uh, an encouragement and a challenge to find that grace from God. So if you've not listened to that yet, I would encourage you to do so. It was a timely word for us as a church and as a family. So next up, chapters 8, 9, and 10. And my title this morning is privilege. Um, in chapters 8, 9, and 10, Paul looks at our rights. Um, and I, I wanted to use the word privilege because that might spark different, uh, different things for different ones of us. Um, we're going to look at that idea about our privilege, and then in two weeks' time, we're going to look at a particular way that Paul works this out, this idea of our rights or our privileges in community, in the church. So we're going to pick that up in two weeks' time. Um, and we're going to pick up the text in chapter 8, but focus in on chapter 9 today. And I want to share two notes of context before we jump into the text. So firstly, as we've already seen in the book, in 1 Corinthians, um, there's something going on behind the text uh, that it's really helpful to be aware of. Uh, so Paul is responding to a letter that the Corinthians have written to him, uh, and also to reports that he's received from the Corinthian church. So... Um, in the previous chapter, he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, there's this letter that he's received. And then in chapter five, he says, um, it is reported among you. Uh, chapter one, he, he, tells, he tells them who it is who's reported this. Uh, it's Chloe's people. Um, so clearly, this letter is written into a relationship. It's not a, a sort of an impersonal thing that he's just lobbing over there. It's part of a conversation. Uh, and he's writing it in that, in that context. Um, and at the start of this chapter, he's moving on to a new subject in that letter, perhaps a new paragraph or a new page in the letter. Uh, and he says, um, now, about food sacrificed to idols, similar to how he ch- started chapter 7. So there's relationship, they're dear to him. Um, and this is a significant church in a significant city where Paul has spent significant time Um, So he has relationship there, he has interest there. He actually planted the church, and we can read about that in Acts chapter 18. So the first note of context is that there's relationship here. Um, He's writing into a conversation. Uh, And secondly, Paul is writing to a community, to a church, and to a city, which places a high value on knowledge um, and on rights. So in both of these respects, Corinth might be similar to Oxford, um, a large city, a melting pot of races and backgrounds, and competing claims for what is true. So we'll see both of these things through the text, so I wanted just to give you a, a heads-up to look out for those. Um, and I think it's fair to say that our culture also places a high value on rights. Um, much of what makes our news headlines is really dealing with, the, with two tensions. Either the tension between the rights of an individual and the rights of a community. So just recently, there was a debate about changing the rules for releasing prisoners convicted on terrorism charges. That's really a debate about the rights of individuals and the rights of the community to be protected from individuals who have, uh, who have committed wrong acts in the past. Um, so there's these tensions between the rights of individuals and community and the rights of individuals with other individuals. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll pick, the, pick up these these themes as we go through the text. So these two things, the letter is written in relationship, and there's this focus on rights and freedoms. So we're going to approach the text. Um, I'm going to read a few verses from 1 Corinthians 8 to give us a flavor of what Paul's talking about, but then focus on chapter 9. So do follow along. Um, so Paul writes, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge... This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. However, he continues, not all possess this knowledge. But some eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience is defiled, He he then carries on, "'Take care that this right of yours "'does not become a stumbling block to the weak. "'Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, "'I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble.'" So that's chapter eight in summary. And then chapter nine. So Paul starts to ask, "'Am I not free? "'Am I not an apostle? "'Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? "'Are not you my workmanship in the Lord?' Without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the ploughman should plough in hope. And the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple... And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. "'Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. "'For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. "'But if not of my own will, "'I am still entrusted with a stewardship. "'What then is my reward? "'That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge "'so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel.'" So I'm going to stop there. I am going to refer to to the the latter verses, um, but we're going to focus in on on that chunk this morning. So the presenting issue here, which we saw in chapter 8, is food sacrificed to idols. We're going to look at this more in two weeks. Um, Corinth was a melting pot of idol worship, different temples, and basically what was going on was meat was being sacrificed to these idols, um, and then three things happened to that meat, some of it would be burnt up in the, in the offering. Some of it would go to the priests so that they would be able to eat. And then the rest, if it was a private offering, the person who brought the offering could then take it home to eat and they would throw a feast. And if it was a public offering, that meat would go to the market and it could be bought and eaten in homes. So that's the issue. Um, because some more mature Christians were saying, we're free to eat, so they were buying this meat and enjoying it. And others, perhaps who are newer to the faith, were seeing that and thinking that those people were eating that meat and were therefore worshipping the idols that had been uh, worshipped through the sacrifice. So the issue that Paul's getting at is the division and the confusion that was coming up in the community. Um, So as I say, we're going to focus on the food aspect um, in a couple of weeks' time. We're going to focus more on the community aspect this week. And we're going to look at the Corinthian way, so how the Corinthians were doing things, and the, and the kingdom way, the gospel way, which Paul unpacks for them. So Paul starts by quoting this letter that the church has sent to him. He says, we know that all possess knowledge. And he initially, he does this a few times, he initially aff- affirms the statement, and he goes, yeah, we, we do all have knowledge, but he says, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. And that's really the point. That's the point of the next three chapters. That's actually the point of the, the rest of the book. Um, for those of us who are familiar with this, this book as a whole, we might know that 1 Corinthians 13 is this great song, this great hymn about love. So in Paul's saying, knowledge puffs up, love builds up, that's really the, the focus for the next, uh, next few chapters. So there is a difference between the Corinthian way and the gospel way, so the Corinthians have this human knowledge. They're quite excited about getting the exact sort of, are we on exactly the right side of the line? And Paul basically says, actually, there's a, there's a better way, which is the way of love. And by knowledge, he means a particular type of knowledge. He means the sort of knowledge that divides people. Um, what was going on was people were saying, oh, no, I, I, I get to do this because I know that I'm free in Christ... Um, and others who, who didn't have that same knowledge um, were being confused, and there was division coming, coming about because of it. Um, Paul's writing to this church, and he knows that there's some in the church who have had what they believe to be special revelations, special spiritual experiences, um, and they're talking about those experiences, um, and those things are contrary to Paul's teachings, the teachings of the apostles. So, Paul's message here is that whatever special knowledge you think you have, actually, there's a better way. And he writes, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Paul's calling for humility here in the context of community. So, he's saying, you might have that knowledge, but Actually, if you don't know how much you don't know, if you don't know that only God is wise, then actually you're not really wise at all. And he's, he's spoken about this earlier in the book, he's, in, in the letter. He's talked about the wisdom of God being the foolishness of man and the foolishness of God um, being wisdom. So this is the first distinction between knowledge and love. The second distinction that Paul sets up is between my rights as an individual and giving up my rights to others. So this is a bit of a complex one, because what's going on in these three chapters is Paul is dealing with a practical practical issue, which is about this food being sacrificed to idols. And he's also dealing in chapter 9 with uh, his apostleship, so Paul planted this church, uh, he came in and spent 18 months there and preached the gospel every day and worked hard, um, and there's some in the church who are doubting the fact that he's an apostle, and doubting the fact that he's their spiritual father. So Paul's sort of arguing this on two levels, he's, he's arguing this on the local practical level about food, and on the, on the sort of personal level about his, his role as an apostle, um, and Paul writes at the end of chapter eight, he says, I'm never gonna eat meat if that would cause my brother to stumble. So he's well aware of the implications of doing that. Because freedom is so highly valued in Corinth, um, some of the people who doubt his apostleship are gonna say, Ah, Paul is restricted, he's not free, and freedom's the most important thing. So Paul can't be an apostle, because he's not really free, because he's not free to eat meat. So that's sort of some of what's going on behind the letter. Um, So they're using this phrase or this mantra, all things are lawful. And Paul in saying that he's restricting himself uh, is sort of inviting the attack that he's not truly free, so he can't truly be an apostle. So he then goes into this this attack or this defense in chapter 9. You might have noticed it's just a list of questions. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? do we not have the right to eat and drink? He's annoyed. So there's some who would say, if Paul were really an apostle and had the authority of an apostle, he wouldn't let himself be restricted. But again, Paul is unpacking a bigger vision. He's saying that, you know, you, you've got your little knowledge. Actually, there's a better way there's love. He's saying, you've got your little rights, you know, the right to eat meat or the right not to eat meat. He's saying, I've got the whole privilege of laying down that right for the sake of the gospel. That I can see other people saved. That I can see other people come to know the truth of this freedom that we have in Christ. So these are the first two things that he sets up as differences. Human knowledge and love. My rights and giving up my rights to others. And then the third thing he, he, he sets up a distinction between is personal freedom. So the individual's right to eat meat or not to eat meat and true freedom. So he unpacks this sort of bigger vision um, of true freedom. And and when we think about Paul and freedom, we um, we might think of Paul as a great champion of freedom. It was Paul, after all, who wrote in Galatians to the Galatian church. He said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So Paul really, really loves the fact that he's free. He, after all, was a Jew. He was He was under the law, and he had to obey all of the laws that had been handed down to to the Israelites and to the Jews. And he's been freed from that through the gospel. So So Paul values freedom. He twice quotes this phrase, all things are lawful for me. And people suppose that, commentators suppose that this might have been a mantra, something of a saying, that the Corinthian church had picked up and probably from Paul's own teachings. So while he was there, he may well have been teaching this, all things are lawful for me, um, because we've been freed in Christ. And they were now using this phrase, or misusing it, and playing it back to Paul, and saying, you know, but Paul said all things are lawful, we can do anything. And Paul's saying, you just don't get it. All things are lawful for you, but there's a better way. Not all things are helpful, so he takes these things and he turns them around. He says, we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up and love builds up. He plays that back to them. Um, he says, all things are lawful. Yeah, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Um, and then this final one, he says, though I am free, he plays it back to them and he says, I have made myself a slave to everyone. So in each, in each, he's taking it up a level. He then goes on to talk about his own rights as an apostle. He says, we've got, you know, I've got the right to food and drink, um, to be fed and, you know, supported by the church. He's got the right to take a believing wife, and he's got the right to choose not to work for a living. Uh, and he quotes a number of reasons why uh, he has that right, to be paid for his work in the gospel. Um, and then the climax of this passage is in Verse 12. he says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So in the same way as he exercised not to exercise his right to get payment for what he was, uh, what he was doing, his work, he encourages the Corinthians. He says, yeah, you have the right to eat whatever you want, but don't exercise that right if it's going to cause your brother to stumble. So Paul had many rights and he claimed none. Um, and I was really struck as I went through it that actually Paul's, Paul's rights, his privileges, are because of the gospel. So the fact that he's free is because he's been set free from the law by the gospel of Christ. So he's got, he's got the, the, the whole point in his freedom is through the gospel. So his rights are gospel-centered. The reasons for those rights are actually also gospel-centered. So he's, he's able to claim those rights because of the gospel. But then his decision of what to do with those rights is again because of the gospel. So towards the the end of the chapter, he says, you know, we have not made use of this right. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. At the end of chapter 10, he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He talks about sharing in the gospel and, and the privilege that he gets to do that and uh, that he actually can't not do it because he's been, uh, he's been compelled to do it. So it's as if Paul would say, take your eyes off your rights. What you get to do and what you don't get to do, that's just, not, that's just not the point. Look to the beauty of the gospel. And then start to ask different questions. So he encourages them away from asking these questions about, you know, what can we do, what can't we do? Um, am I on the right side of the line? How far can I go? Are my rights being upheld? And the questions that Paul would have us asked would, would be more like, is it loving? So if I do this or don't do this, um, is it causing others to stumble or to be built up? Is it good for the community, is it good for others um, if I do this or don't do this? I, um, I was struck this morning by the, uh, the depth to which we went in, in worship. And I, I think um, Eileen, if, if Eileen had been here in the building, she would have loved her contribution to be pointing us to the wonder of the beauty of the gospel of Christ. And I think she would love to know that actually her contribution this morning uh, in her absence did just that. Uh, we've, we've seen something there, we've seen something in Eileen's life of the beauty and the privilege that we have in the gospel. Not because we get to do a whole bunch of things or we get a, a bunch of freedom that we can use in all sorts of selfish ways, but actually that because we get those things, we also get to choose to lay them down for the sake of other people. Um, Bex mentioned that uh, Eileen scooped her up as an eighteen-year-old, um, it was costly for her to do that. Um, <laughs> is that fair? You know, it's it's costly for us to open up our lives, to open up our homes, to change our habits, um, to serve others. Um, it's. I remember we um, we we had a full Sunday uh, a few months ago, and we had you know, the morning service. I think we were doing something and we were here early. And then we got home and uh, we lead a missional community which meets at our home, uh, shout out bunch. Um, and we, we had that and we were with them for the whole afternoon. And then they'd gone and we were just, we were excited to just have some time to rest. And I got a text from my best mate. And he said, hey, I'm, um, I'm he was on, he was getting a flight to India. And he said he, um, he'd left his old passport in storage, the other side of Oxford, um, and could we drive across town to the big yellow self storage and get into this storage and, and, and find out his old passport number so that he could get into India. What do you what do? You do? He's, he's my best mate. We said yes, of course. So we drove across town and we let him, let him get into India for whatever he was doing out there. So so love's not always going to be comfortable. The way of love that Paul's describing is not always going to be easy. The the privilege of love and of giving up my rights for others and of true freedom is at a cost. But what Paul has seen, and he unpacks this right at the beginning of the, the letter, and again right at the end, is that the gospel is worth it. So in giving up our rights for the sake of others, we, we don't just get to be like Jesus, who ultimately sacrificed himself completely for us. We also get to see younger, younger brothers and sisters in the faith built up. And we get to see people who don't yet know Jesus come to know him. Sounds like a good deal to me. So Paul would have us consider how we move away from our rights and realise that actually it's all about the good news. It's all about us identifying with Jesus in giving up our rights and seeing sacrifice as the way of the cross. It's about the good news in, in walking in Christian community together, in seeing others built up. And it's also about the good news in uh, in seeing others come to faith. So Paul goes on in in chapter 10, and we'll look at this another time, to talk about saving and winning people for this gospel, for this good news. So it's all about the gospel. And I think Paul would have us respond in a couple of really simple ways. So the first thing he would encourage us to do would be to consider others, really simply. So, you know, it may be that there's opportunities this week where someone asks you to do something that you wouldn't necessarily or naturally love to do. And actually, as you consider it, what you realize is that you're free not to do it. You're entirely free. You don't have to. You don't have to open your home to neighbors. You don't have to go and spend that extra hour with that colleague who's just having a hard week. You, like, you don't have to do that. Your salvation is not at stake if you don't do those things. But, is it loving? Is it causing others to be built up? So it's moving away from, do I have to do this? To, I get to do it. I get to walk with others. You know, I get to lead people on. I get to encourage them in the faith. I get to do all this because Christ has set me free. Because I'm free, I get to lay down that freedom And be in submission to to God. Paul puts it in even stronger terms. He says, I make myself a slave to everyone. So he's entirely free. And yet he makes himself a slave to everyone. And there's a lovely little little pair of sentences that that captures this. um, Which Martin Luther wrote. He wrote, a Christian is... Perfectly, is a perfectly free lord of all, subject to none. And a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. It's kind of old school language. But a Christian is a perfectly free lord of all, subject to none. No shackles, no constraints. And a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all, or slave to all. So Martin Luther got it, and, and Paul got it, but it wasn't a burdensome thing. You know, Paul speaks here of not wanting to use these rights because of the privilege that he has in sharing the gospel, and in walking with younger Christians um, and seeing them grow in their faith. So, so these, are the, these are the encouragements to us that I think Paul would bring. Um, in our consideration of what to do and what not to do, we could be guided by the Corinthian way, which is about what we, what we get to do. You know, do we, Are we on this side of the line or that side of the line? We could be guided by our rights and our personal freedoms, or we could take the kingdom way, which is to consider others, to open up our lives to be interruptible, to be unhurried and encourage others in the faith and ultimately see others come to know this freedom as well. So I think these are, these are Paul's encouragement to us. Consider others, be guided by love, and it's all about the good news.